Well, as we've been spending our time looking at Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're observing that this chapter is the hub of this great sermon that Moses is proclaiming. In fact, we spent some time this morning in looking at the Gospel of Mark, actually examining the concept right here in Deuteronomy chapter 6. In Deuteronomy 6, it opens with Moses saying, here's the statutes and the rules that you are to keep and obey. This is what God has called you to do, that your life may be long while on the earth. And then Deuteronomy 6 verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your might. And these are the words that I command you today that shall be on your heart. And we looked at how Jesus then verified that when the scribe came to Jesus asking him, what's the greatest commandment? This is it. But you'll notice that this really falls right in the middle of of Moses' sermon. We've talked about many times our tendency is to go and take a quotation out of Old Testament context and not see what the big idea is that's going around that. After proclaiming to the people, love the Lord your God with all your heart. This is the, the big message, the big command. Notice what follows right behind that statement. Deuteronomy chapter 6 And verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorposts of, of your house and on your gates. Notice what you have immediately stated right there. Love the Lord your God. And now, how is that going to happen? How are we going to communicate this idea of loving God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, with all our mind? What does that look like? What is required in terms of that? And I'm going to throw up on the screen here the Christian Standard Version because I like how it reads for the word, uh, repeat them to your children. The reason I I like that is that it kind of gets underneath what the word is all about. It's teach your children. But the idea of that word underneath it is a repetition is going to occur by which you are going to engrave these things onto the hearts of your children. The NIV uses it as impress them on your children. This is the idea is that the heart is this tablet and you are going to engrave it or impress it by repetition into the hearts of the children. And that's why the rest of what you see in those three verses makes a lot of sense of why you would say that. Where are you going to teach these things? Or where are you going to repeat the things that God has said? How are you going to impress them upon the hearts of the people? Where is that going to take place? Now you'll notice that he begins by saying that you will do this diligently when you sit in your house. All right, well, do we do that? I'd say of all the things that we're going to read about, there's an awful lot of that. We have an awful lot of sitting in our homes. And here is is Moses saying, when you sit down in your home, this is your opportunity. You are to be using that opportunity when in the home to spend time impressing upon the child's heart the things of God. 
And one of the sad things I think that we have right now is what happens when we sit in the homes is that every individual grabs their personal device and stares at them. Rather than spending time impressing upon our children the things of God. I'm mystified by that when I get to go out to restaurants and I see the whole family all sit down to the restaurant and all right, let's place our order. And then they all do this. And it's like, you've got to be kidding me. This is your chance for family time. Everybody's been separated for all this time between school and work and errands and running around. And now you are sitting at your home. What are you going to do? And Moses says, impress these things on the hearts of the children by repetition. Then engrave their hearts and show them the ways of God and use this as an opportunity to teach. You think about how how often today in our society we see that most families do not eat together. They do not spend time together face to face in conversation. These things are becoming rarer and rarer and they are critical opportunities that are needed in the family to be able to impress those things on the children. Think of our time in the home as a critical opportunity, as a chance then to impress upon them. Here are the ways of God. Here's what God says. And here's what we need to do. And here is why we do them. Teaching them Important biblical concepts and principles. Teach them how to read the Bible. Teach them what God says. Those are the times that we're using when we are in the home. And notice, in speaking of this repetition, not only will you do it when you sit in your house, but when you walk by the way, or for our terms, when you travel. When you are traveling, this is also yet another opportunity to impress upon your children the ways of God. When we're in the car, do we talk about God? Do we teach them the ways of God? You now have a captive audience. They're stuck in the car with you. Use that opportunity to teach them. Again, another terrible thing that has happened is what happens when everybody gets in the car. Back on the devices again and everybody's staring at their little screens again. Put them away. Use that as a time to talk about the things of, of God. My dad did that to me. every. We lived in San Diego and my grandparents were in Los Angeles. So that is uh, if there was nobody living in Southern California, an hour and a half drive. But that made it a two and a half hour drive because everybody lives in Southern California. And so it's about two and a half hour drive. Here's what my dad would do. As soon as the car would go, he'd go. All right, Adam and Eve had two sons. What were they? Who killed who? And who replaced them? And then Noah, name his three sons. And how many were saved? And I mean, all the way till we got to the New Testament, we went through every historical question you could possibly come up with. Abraham, who's his wife? Who was his handmaid? Whose children were whose? Name all the 12 sons of, 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 of Jacob. And on and on and on and on and ago. We'd get down to the days of prophets and dad would say, all right, now, uh, which nation conquered the northern nation of Israel? And in what year? And I'd go, I have no idea. And then, you know how many times it took in the car till I figured out 722? Now, and then look at me in my 40s telling you Assyria 722. And then I could tell you, and then there were three invasions against the nation of Judah by Babylon in 606, 597, and 586 because he grilled it every time we got in the car. And when we've taken road trips, guess what I've done with my kids? And there they are laughing at me, going, yeah, I I did those questions to you too. In fact, uh, we had one of our extended family ones, and we even did that uh, around Wyoming and Montana with a big old van of 13 of us. And, hey, let's do all the questions of everything in the Bible about that. That's what I was just saying. When you travel, 
Talk about the things of God. Teach upon them the things of God. Show them the way of God. Take the opportunity to talk to your kids about God as you travel about in the day. Not only that, verse 7, when you lie down and when you rise up. So for our words, when you get up and when you go to bed. You also then talk about the things of God. Think about when they rise up and talking to your child about here's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Be what God has called you to be. Don't forget who you are when you go to school and be that light. Reminders of who you are, what God has called you to be. When they come home and they're coming to bed, what was your day like? How does how can we use that to understand what God would have you to do in handling those circumstances? It's so important that what you are seeing Moses say is that parents constantly have their mouths open to their kids about the things of God. There is constant conversation. We are constantly talking about things so that if we're in the home, we're talking about it. If we're traveling, we're doing it. If they're getting up, we're doing it. If they're going to bed, we're doing it. Then you'll notice he pushes even further in verse eight and you will bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. That's another way to say that, except you all always have God's law before your eyes. They're always going to be there. God's law is always going to be at the forefront. We will always be thinking about God's ways and God's laws. And we're going to be using that to teach our children that. Be another way of saying we're going to be thinking about God's ways. We're going to be meditating on God's ways. We're going to have a Bible with us at all times. There's bound on your hands and on your forehead. God's laws are right there, always accessible, always on the mind, always in the hand. There's a picture of, of that as well, that it, we're just exuding a love for God's law and displaying that. Which then, that's what the rest of that is describing in verse 9. Writing them on the doorposts of the house and in, in the gates. What we're doing is having a home that shows the absolute importance of God. In everything that we do, any time that we're together, that the home would reflect that these are going to be lives that are lived for God. That the home will be saturated with a love for God. And one of the biggest things that Moses is telling this generation of what they need to do is as parents, you must always show that God is of the utmost importance. He's so important that if we're sitting, we're talking about it. And if we're traveling, we're talking about it. And it's going to be on our foreheads and on our hands. And it's going to be on the doorposts. It's everywhere. Just think of a home that is saturated by the love of God. It is shown to be of the highest importance and that God is second to absolutely nothing. God is not second to school. God is not second to work. God is not second to hobbies. God is not second to activities or sports or community service or any other activity that we could possibly think of. We will always exude in this house, God is of the utmost importance. That's what Moses is saying. We're talking about it all the time. When we walk, when we sit, when we get up, when we go to bed. It is our everything that God is above all else. And it's important that our children understand that and we communicate that by the decisions that we make. 
I, I can tell you, and as I've told you these stories many times of all the Little League games that I miss because it seems society slams everything on Wednesday night. So meet your teachers on Wednesday night. Little League is on Wednesday night. Girl Scouts are on Wednesday night. Every activity in the book is on Wednesday night. And I missed all of them. <laughs> I don't know if my parents ever met a teacher of my elementary school. <laughs> ever. Because <laughs> it was always on Wednesday night. We just went, oh, well, yeah, great. Well, you meet your teacher from 7.30 to 8 o'clock. Well, that doesn't work out too well. And so we missed all of those. And sometimes we have the tendency to say, well, what does it matter if it's just one time? And I understand the logic behind it. From our perception as parents... What we are doing, we are saying, well, one out of 52 times in a year, what is the really big deal? I don't disagree with what the thought process is, but what I disagree with is something that we fail to consider. What message are we sending to our children when homework or school or job or Girl Scouts or school or baseball or whatever it is gets priority? That's the problem. Yeah, I know it's just once. But what are we impressing upon our children at that moment? What's more valuable? What's more critical? What is everything? That's what has to be impressed. And that's what Moses is talking about here is we have to consider what we are intending to do by our life decisions and by our teachings is that we are by this repetition, this impressing on their hearts that there is nothing more important. There is absolutely nothing more important. And unfortunately, by those actions, what we communicate is, well, Sunday or Wednesday or Friday or whatever it is, we do if there's not something more important. And we don't say it like that. But that is the way that comes out. Is something more important where Moses is saying God is of the utmost importance. God must be shown as important above all else and second to none. And we have to reflect that in the decisions that we are making. What I'd like to then point out then is that is the work of every mother and every father to impress into the hearts of the children God's words through repetition. And I think it's not too hard for us to recognize why the mother's role would be a critical role in this activity. Because certainly we see in the scriptures, the father, the buck stops with them. Teach your children the way they should go. Do not provoke them to wrath. Absolutely, they are in the leadership position and will be held accountable for how the house is run. But as we recognize, as has been throughout all society, where's the father going to be most of the day? The mother has to be the one to carry that out. The mother has to also be the one to impress upon those things at all times. And this must be something that is done together. And parenting cannot just simply fall on one person, but that the mother and the father are directly involved and critically impressing upon the child equally the ways of God. And I think this would be an implied idea, but I'll state it obviously. That means mother and father have to be on the same page for success. If mom and dad are warring over parenting techniques and what's most important, you will fail. You'll just absolutely fail. If one parent upholds God as everything and the other parent doesn't, 
That's a fail. It's not going to work. It's inconsistent. You have to be united together in expressing God is the most important thing. It is most important to the father. It is most important to the mother. And that the child sees that from both. And that both together are working in a united effort to drill that into the heart of the child. And pressing upon them again and again. God is everything. And so if dad's away, things aren't changing. Same with mom, impressing the things of God. And if mom's away, then nothing's changing. Dad is impressing the things of God. It is completely united across the board. It's the only way it'll work. Otherwise, it will be a complete failure. I've stated this many times. Inconsistency will destroy the ability to truly impress upon the heart of the child. And you're probably aware of that. You've probably seen that where you've seen one parent be very faithful and one parent not. And you've seen the outcome of that. It's not hard to see the the wreckage that that causes and inconsistency in the spiritual importance of what must be shown to the child. I think it is interesting that here in this text, Moses does not say now only mothers or only fathers. He says, here's what I command all of you. Impress this upon your children. You're all responsible. Teach these things by repetition to your children. When you travel, wherever you go, wherever you're at, take every opportunity you can. Everybody told me when I had kids, take advantage of it, they grow up fast. And let me tell you, for the first year or two, I disagreed with that because it feels like eternity to get through those first couple of years. And they were all right. You better take advantage of every shot you have because it goes by so fast. And you look back and you start getting to the end and you think, wow, I could have done so much more. And you presume so much time that slips through your fingers. There's a reason why Moses is saying every time you sit down and every time you get up and every time they go to bed and every time they wake up and every time they're looking around the house, it is a house that is saturated with the things of God. They have to see it. They have to hear it and they have to see it. Uh, Children are the best hypocrisy monitors. If they hear it but don't see it, they'll call you out and you will also fail. They are amazing hypocrisy monitors. We have to not only say it, but it has to be revealed. And that's why I would impress upon us why homework, work, school, baseball, Girl Scouts, all those kinds of things. We have to show them that's second, that's last, that's nothing, that's not of, of lasting importance. Otherwise, they're hearing one thing and seeing a different thing altogether. It's critical for us to express that. Now, we might be tempted as we look at verses 10 through 19 to think now he's gone away from teaching about how to to teach your children. But I want you to note in verse 20, he suddenly says, And when your son asks of the time to come, what's the meaning of the the laws of God? So he's not going to leave that. He's still in the midst of talking about this context of teaching And the use of repetition. And by the way, I would also state right here, if you don't have kids, and even if you do have kids, what Moses says to do is how you impress God's law in your hearts. Repetition, 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 repetition. And he's teaching parents, here's how you get into your kids, but guess what? That's how you get it in you too. It's going to be the exact same thing. Doing exactly what he said to do here, we have to do it for ourselves. But verses 10 through 19, what he's going to do is describe the immense blessings that are about to happen. Notice in verse 10, he'll say, you're going to come into the land that's given to you by your fathers. 
The end of verse 10, with, with great and good cities that you did not build, with houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. In short, what he says, you're going to come into the land, and you're just taking over the place. You're not starting from scratch. You're going to have vineyards, and you're going to have wells. You're going to have all this great stuff. You're just walking into it. It's not having to start from scratch. And he says at the end of verse 11, And when you eat and are full... Then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Notice where he goes after saying, I want you to show God in every aspect of your life. Teach your children and press it upon their hearts. He then turns around and says, now what's going to happen is you're going to have prosperity. Things are going to go well for you. And what you must do is remember that everything that you have has been given to you by God. Now, why would we forget that? That's what you'll notice he highlights in verses 11 and 12. He says, you're going to come in and he uses, you're going to be full. You're going to become satisfied. Here's God pointing out. When do we forget about God? When we're comfortable and prosperous and full and satisfied. He says, you're going to come into the land and I'm going to bless you so significantly that you're just going to take over and have all this prosperity. And I'm going to warn you, don't forget God. Guess what? That's what you have to teach our kids. The reason why we are blessed the way we are is because God has given it to us. It's not because your dad works 150 hours a day. It's because God has blessed us. That's why God has given us everything that we have. That's what God's biggest warning is. Don't get in the land and say it's by your own hand and by your own might. And you did this and you did that. And look at how I provided. God says, don't you dare do that. You need to go in there and recognize you're satisfied because God gave it to you. God is the one who has blessed you. And unfortunately, what happens is our satisfaction absolutely causes forgetfulness. Which, if you think about this generation that's here in Deuteronomy, did they listen and heed the warning? What happens with this generation? Remember, you open to the book of Judges, the next generation, and the words that come right off the page is it's a generation that doesn't know God. They came in, took the land, enjoyed the spoils, became satisfied, were victorious on every side, and the next generation didn't know God. Moses is warning that right here. You better tell your kids why you have all this stuff. You better tell them why you're blessed. You better tell them why you have all this prosperity because God has given it to us. God is the one who has richly blessed us. I think that is such an important message that Moses is giving to them because it's something that we need to reflect upon as parents and what we communicate to our children that you notice that God has always wanted gratefulness and recognition that it all came from him. You see that over and over again. God has always wanted a grateful people. Parables are about people. Will you be grateful to me? Miracles about people who came back to Jesus and showed appreciation and thanksgiving. The scriptures are filled with the imagery of God wants thankful hearts. And here as parents, then Moses is saying, we didn't teach our kids that to be grateful. 
And that we do not bless ungratefulness and rebellion. Did God ever bless Israel for their ungratefulness and high-handed rebellion? No. We saw that in numbers, didn't we? As soon as they complained and rebelled, complaining and rebellion, that's not being grateful and turning against God. God struck them down and said, none of you are entering. Not a single one of you are going to enter except my two faithful Joshua and Caleb. That's it. None of you are going to enter the land. God does not accept ungratefulness and rebellion. And as parents, we're clearly given the opportunity to reflect the ways of God to our kids and show that we don't do ungratefulness. This is from God. God has blessed us. We must be thankful for everything that we have. I'm sure as parents, you've seen that where you have uh, had that turmoil where your, your child, be it a birthday or holiday or whatever, and somebody gives them a gift and they open up the present and they look at it and they go... And I don't know about you, but my hand and heart immediately go to the near... Oh no, you're not doing that. (laughs) You are not showing ungratefulness. Like it or not, be thankful for what you have. Because that's how we're supposed to be with God. Whatever it is, whatever our circumstance, be content with what you have is what God tells us. How dare we teach our children to not be appreciative. And not be content with every little thing that they've been given. Because all of it is from God. What do we suspect is going to happen if we raise our kids to be ungrateful? They're going to be ungrateful to God. They're going to rebel against God. No big surprise. And so we must recognize that this is an opportunity. And this is what God is giving here and saying, when you get into that land, do not forget, do not forget, do not forget that God has given you every bit of what he has given you. I would love to spend more time on those verses. I'm thankful for Wednesday nights. We'll get to the rest of that in the Wednesday nights. I need for the sake of time to jump to verse 20. Notice verse 20. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? I love the setup to that. There's going to be a time where your children are going to say, why do we do this? Why do we worship? Why do we care about the things of God? What does it matter? Why is this important? There is a time that they're going to ask this. And even Moses has that in mind. There's going to be a time when they ask that. And notice what the response is. Verse 21. Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders and great and grievous they were against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his house before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always that he might preserve us alive as we are to this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. Let's talk about some of the things that Moses now gives in direction. When the child asks, why? (laughs) As parents, we've all experienced the why phase. Why are we doing all these things? And obviously when kids are very young, I think Moses has in mind, you have to give them the because I said so. 
You don't run in the street because I said so. I can't go into all the physics of what a car is going to do to you when it hits you and what that's going to mean. And you don't understand dead yet. You're just going to do it because I say so. But there becomes a time, he says, where the child is going to ask why and you need to explain why we do what we do. It is insufficient to teach our children. So, all right, the reason why we worship God and why we love God and we obey His laws is because I said so. <laughs> You've got to explain why. Why do we do these things? What Moses is doing here in this paragraph is helping us realize is that there must be deliberate strategies for transmitting faith. That we must understand that as we get older, we must express to them why we have faith. Faith does not happen by accident. And I think it is interesting that Moses does not say they're going to get their faith by going to all of the tabernacle assemblies. Nor does he say, just send them to the priests when they ask the question. Just go, go find a Levite and let them handle it. No, you are the one who transmits faith. It is critical to understand that faith is transmitted from the parents. By the same token, it's interesting to me that Moses doesn't say, make sure you run your house in such a way demanding unquestioned obedience and loyalty. No, they're going to ask the question. You're going to respond. So it's not a lackadaisical, eh, just do whatever they want to do. Nor is it ruling with an iron fist that everybody's afraid and can't ask, ask a question. When they ask, here's how you respond. I think he gives three very important and powerful answers to this. Verses 21 and 22. How will we answer it? The reason we obey is because we look and see all that God has done. The reason we obey is because we're going to show them everything that God has done. Notice that the first answer is we were slaves in Egypt. And God brought us out by a mighty hand and showed us wonders great and mighty against Pharaoh and Egypt. We're going to tell them about what God did. When when our children ask, why do we do what we do? Why do we obey? Why do we worship? Why do we Bible studies? Why do we do the things that we do? Why do we pray? Why do we read the Bible? Because of what God has done for us. We're immediately bringing them to the gospel. And we are telling them... I want you to understand everything that God has done. You have no idea all how God has blessed us so richly by giving His Son on a cross for our sins. We should not have any inheritance with God whatsoever. We are rule breakers and sinners and enemies of God. And you will not believe what God has done for us. That's the first message Moses is saying. You tell your kids. As soon as they ask, you tell them all about Pharaoh. You tell them about being slaves. You tell them all about Egypt. Same messages to us. Kids ask, why do we do what we do? We don't tell them, well, because we have to. We tell them, look at what God did. Look how God has rescued us. Look at what God has done to save. And look at what God has sacrificed. Look at the mighty works that God has accomplished in our lives. And we express that to Him. It is a huge picture that we share with our children the mercy and the grace of God. This is what the grace and the mercy of God looks like. And we will teach them about it and teach them the good news of what God has done for us. Second, 
you will notice that he describes in verse 23 that he brought us out from there into a land that he swore to give our fathers. I think one of the great messages we teach our children is God keeps his word. How faithful God is. God always does what he says. You have a dependable, reliable God who is more dependable than anybody you will ever know on earth. He always does what he promises. As parents, we fail, but son, you have a God who always does what he says. And he promised us to go into the promised land and that's what he's done. We tell our kids that. There's a great promise that lies ahead of us. Why do we do what we do? We have an unbelievable hope that God has promised. We have something that we're looking forward to, that we cannot wait to enjoy, that we greatly desire. And we express the faithfulness of God to them in that. Verses 24 and 25, he then tells them, why do we do what we do? Because everything that God commands us to do is for our good. I love the two pictures that are there. He says in the middle of verse 24, it is for our good always that he might preserve us alive as we are to this day. This is for our good. Every command, every law, every rule. Why are we doing it? Because it's for your good. What God has said is for your own good, for your own benefit. God's not trying to hurt you, son. He's doing good by you. Every law, we express that to our children is the goodness of God. And then notice verse 25. What a great New Testament even concept. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God. It will be righteousness to us. We obey because it's for our good and that is our future hope. It will be righteousness to us. Here we are before God. We can be His children. We can be right in His sight. It would be our righteousness if we would do such a thing. We teach these things over and over and over again. One of the things that in thinking about this chapter and some of the things that we talk about is that we must recognize that we teach our children about the sacrifice that is required to follow Jesus. But we need to make sure that in describing our walk with God as certainly taking up a cross and following him and making sacrifices, saying no to the flesh and doing what God says, that we do not ever indicate that what that means is what we are doing is against our own will and desires. That we don't want to communicate to our children, there's all these sacrifices that we have to make In order to be with God. And I know we don't like it, but you know, it's just what we have to do. Sometimes we describe sacrifice in terms of obligation. These are the things we have to do. Jesus walked around trying to blow that up. This is one of my favorite parables. There's a little statement in here that is easy to miss. Think about this parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buy the field. You know what the two most important words are in that parable? His joy. He doesn't sell all that he has because, well, I guess I have to. 
Fabulous pearl. Man, what a terrible day, but I found the dumb pearl out here. I was on my own way, doing whatever I wanted to do, and now I found this pearl. I guess that's a pretty good opportunity, so I have to sell all that I have because that pearl's valuable. In his joy is central to the sacrifice that he's making. Does he sell all that he has because he has to? Out of obligation? Out of requirement? Does the sacrifice seem painful to him? We have to communicate that the choices that we're making, the lifestyle we're doing, the decisions that we make, and the sacrifices that we make are not some kind of torturous decision that we are white-knuckling our way through because we kind of like God a little bit and think it would be worth it for us in the end. Or we're just trying to avoid hell, so, so you know we just got to do this kind of thing. The picture he says here is, this man sells it because it's joyful to him. We communicate to our children, we want to sacrifice. Which brings me back around to some of the things that we've talked about. I don't want to teach my kids. Well, you have to skip Little League or Girl Scouts, or homework, or meet the teacher, or whatever, fill in the blank. We just have to do that because, you know, these are the things that God says we have to do because, you know, God says, put me first, love the Lord your God with all your heart. (laughs) No, we're communicating that this is the better thing. We're going to indicate that we're choosing the better part. This is the better decision. This is the desirous decision. This is the thing that is best. It is far better. Show your children the the weight between the temporal and the spiritual. You know what? What's it really going to matter with Girl Scouts in eternity? But, you know, what does it mean about the things of God? Which is more important? Which is more important? That you met your teacher? Which is more important? You got to play in the big baseball game? What's more important? We're trying to communicate to them a desire that we want to make these sacrifices. We desire this because of all that God has done for us, because his laws are good for us, because God is faithful to his word, because it will be our righteousness if we do these things. This is the thing we must communicate over and over and over again. And I believe this is the repetition that we really do need to impress upon our children's hearts. We do this because we love God. We must do everything we can to strike out of our language the idea of what we have to do. That we do everything to never let the words come out of our mouths. This is something we have to do. Have to implies something I don't want to do, but I'm under obligation to do. No, you have to go to work and you have to go to school, but you don't have to worship God. Because God's never called anybody to do that. You either want to or you don't. God has never wanted his ha- the have-tos. You saw that this morning. What does the scribe say? Loving the Lord your God is better than all the burnt offerings you can possibly come up with. Your obligation means nothing to God. I don't want your obligation. I don't want responsibility. I don't want your have-to. I want it because you want to. 
If I had time, put that in a marriage scenario. That been good on Valentine's Day? Well, here's your flowers because you know I have to. Yeah, true love right there. You know, oodles of love just bursting forth. It's our anniversary and I didn't want to sleep on the couch, so here's flowers. We do that to God all the time, though. Well, we have to. It's not what God wants. God doesn't care just as much as you wouldn't care for it either in marriage or children or parents or whatever relationship. Nobody wants have to. And neither does God. God's words then are impressed into hearts. Repetition, repetition, repetition. If you have children, Moses says, here's how you do it. If you don't have children or you're past that time, this is how you do it for yourself. It's the very same message. And I hope one of the things that you will see is Moses is already teaching them before they've even entered the land. Raising your children in the way of the Lord does not happen by accident. It doesn't happen by accident. And let me tell you, all you parents can raise your hand and agree, parenting is not easy. It is hard, long, heavy, painful, saddening work. (laughs) Every adjective you can think of. I've never realized how much your heart is carried along by your children, but they are. Everywhere your parent, your children go, your heart is fully tied to that. Whatever they do, that's everything. It is so important for us to recognize that this work is a careful, pre-planned, thoughtful training. It is not something that's going to be easy. It is not something that we can dare be lazy about. It is something that requires our devout attention. I know when when we're in the home, what would we want to do? I want to just relax. Moses said, when they sit down, you're teaching the things of God. I know, but I'm tired. It's worth it. And when they get up and when we travel, I know, but I'm tired. And they're being annoying. And I know. (laughs) Teach them the ways of God. When they sit down, when they rise up, when they're going to bed, all those things. Teach them the ways of God. It is careful, careful work. Friends, let us never hope they're going to do better. We have an opportunity to influence. We have an opportunity to teach. And that opportunity hopefully will never end. Where we can influence and teach and teach and tell them this is why we do what we do. This is why it's important to us. These are the ways of God that we will never sit back and just, well, I hope they figure it out spiritually. God, ultimately, if I can say this, God's calling for parents to be parents. We have a job. We've walked into a role. And God has given direct authority that we would raise them, train them, instruct them, discipline them, and lead them. That's what God's told us to do. We have all of these grave responsibilities. And I would just simply end by asking, is there a more important goal that you could set before you in the home than to teach your children to know the Lord? We can't save them. We cannot make them love God. But we can impress God upon their hearts every single day. And we can show them why God matters so much to us. You can't save them. They're going to make their own choice. But we're going to take every opportunity to show them why God is better than anything else there is in this life. 
Let us impress upon them so that they will understand who God is and give them every opportunity to choose to love God. We can set them on the right path. We can point them the right way. And that's what Moses tells them in in Deuteronomy 6. You go into the land. You be sure to show them the right way. And you be sure to impress upon their hearts. And you be sure to explain the ways of God to them. Oh, I love that chapter. I love that chapter. Well, you think about it as an aside. How we raise our children right now is also an amazing evangelism tool in the world around us. Having children who are respectful, honoring of the parents, listen to those who are older than them, submit to authorities. These are unusual things in our society now for children. You can make a very big difference and make a very big statement. And people see that. If you have kids, you might have people come up to you. I cannot believe your child is so quiet. I can't believe they're so well behaved. You make an impact in those things. The way we teach our children is far more reaching than we sometimes realize. And the impact that we can make in the lives of others is quite vast. But if there is nothing else, of all the souls that you want to impact, you want to impact your kids. You really want to impact your children. We'll sing an invitation song. We invite you to come to Jesus this very evening. And if there's any way we can help you respond to the invitation, to turn away from your sins, to believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died for your sins and be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins, we encourage you to take the opportunity tonight. Won't you come and do that?